I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I want to start you off with a number today. 29. That's how old former SAG-AFTRA union president Gabrielle Carteris was when she played 15-year-old Andrea Zuckerman on Beverly Hills 90210. 29 years old, playing 15. That, my friends, is acting. This, on the other hand, is the Stream Police Podcast. The Stream Police Podcast is brought to you by OverdueReview.com. Read long-form reviews of movies, TV, and music from the distant and recent past at OverdueReview.com. Hello again, my friend. Welcome to the Stream Police Podcast. I'm Clint Davis, movies and TV editor at OverdueReview.com. And, of course, a little bit later we'll be hearing from my good friend Andy Sedlak, our music editor up there at the website. Uh, urge you to go check out the website. Got a few uh, new reviews we've posted in the last few weeks. Andy reviewed an old uh, Pete Townsend solo disc with one of the weirdest record titles I have ever heard. All the best cowboys have Chinese eyes. And in his review, he tries to, in the words of Pete Townsend, explain what that title means. Um, I, I'm not sure that Townsend did a very good job of explaining what that means, but screw it. You know, that's not the point anyway. So go up there and read his uh, his thoughts on that record. Check that one out. Also, I wrote a review of the mid-'80s Michael Mann Hannibal Lecter movie Manhunter, which is uh, now streaming on HBO Now if you do want to check that film out. Uh, or you can probably find it on DVD for $2 somewhere. That's where I got my copy years ago. And uh, just uh, finally got around to watching the film and, and loved it. It was recommended to me years ago. So you can read my thoughts at OverdueReview.com. I apologize if I sound a little uh, I sound a little hoarse because uh, I'm battling some kind of flu, but I didn't want the episode to be any later than usual. I know we've, uh, we have we pushed the episodes back to where we're doing them once a month now, so I don't want to make you guys wait any longer than that. That's already long enough between episodes. But bear with me. Sorry if I don't sound my best. Uh, I'll try to keep you gripped for this entire uh, time that we're chatting today. So thank you very much for tuning into the show. Please pass the word along to your friends. I mentioned the uh, SAG-AFTRA, uh, former President Gabrielle Carteris there in my opening. And uh, I mentioned that because the SAG Awards were last night. And it's just a big celebration of acting. They always do that great intro, which, I mean, it's a little bit awkward. But, you know, it is kind of cool to see people taking pride in the work they do and, 
Uh, they stop by, you know, one of the actors' tables and they tell a little story about their career, some little nugget, some little anecdote, and then they always end it by saying, I'm blah, 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 and I'm an actor. And then they pass it on to the next person. So kind of an interesting show. Uh, TBS and TNT have been airing that for a few years and trying to make it a big deal. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's a good show because I like that they honor ensemble casts and films. It's something that I've for a long time thought the Golden Globe should do, the Oscars should do, because, you know, honoring one individual performance from a movie is fine. I mean, it, it's great. Some, in some movies, very rarely in some movies, though, one performance can carry an entire film. It's not often. But it can happen. More often than not, it's the whole cast being great that makes a movie truly great. So it makes more sense to me to do an award for best cast. And then in that way, we're honoring casting agents. We're honoring all the actors. And it's so cool to see a whole cast from a film up on stage together uh, celebrating. So, Or a TV show. I mean, in a TV show, it's even more so that you should honor the cast, not an individual actor. So that's always been something I've thought. And I also like the SAGs because they refer to actors as male actors and female actors, not actors and actresses. Uh, they're still separating by gender, but I, I like, you know, as I've talked about before, I don't like the term actress. I think it makes it sound lesser, makes you sound like a lesser actor. So I only use the term actor and female actor, and that's what SAG after does as well. So SAGs were last night. They honored... Um, I was glad because La La Land wasn't even up for the big award. And as you know, if you've been listening to the show or reading the website, I, I couldn't stand La La Land. think it's the most overrated film I've ever seen. Can't I, I don't understand what everyone's talking about when they talk about how great this movie is. Very middle of the road, very pedestrian, very average, if you ask me. Um, but there have been some great movies this year. Uh, a little bit later on in the show, I'm going to talk about my five best films of 2016. It wouldn't be overdue review if I didn't give them to you a month after the uh, after the year ended. so uh, But last night they honored Hidden Figures, which was a movie I really enjoyed a lot. Just a, a really inspiring film uh, and a really like a vital movie for the time and the uh, the era in which we live. I mean, we can learn so many more lessons going back and revisiting stuff that happened in the 60s because people have forgotten about it. And we can learn even more lessons going back to like the 1940s and seeing some of the lessons that it seems like our country has forgotten from that. Uh, time period in the world when we weren't exactly the gold standard when we were we were kind of uh, cowardly back then um, of course until we got bombed but anyways uh, the hidden figures is one of these movies that really can teach you a lot about history and it's just it's a pleasure to watch it was a really a, a really good film really well done and I'm glad that the cast was honored they also gave a couple of uh, SAG awards defenses which as I talked about on the show before it's just an acting lover's dream. Um, sure. Some people say it's overacted. I don't care. I don't give a shit. I love it, man. I mean, this is, this is what, this is acting. This is at the height of, of dramatic acting, really, when you see a movie like Fences and the writing is just, oh, again, a dream from someone who, uh, if, if someone who loves stage drama, you just can't beat that. So glad to see those movies getting honored, uh, in, at the SAGs and Moonlight was honored as well. So it was a good night overall. I agreed with, uh, with, with most of the winners, except for Emma Stone, of course, being best female actor, but uh, that's neither here nor there. So, uh, yeah, shout out to the SAGs last night. Good show. I'm not going to light my stogie up because, you know, my throat's already killing me. I don't need to do anything else to it, so I'm just drinking water today. So, apologize, no stogie, um, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll get it back next time, I'm sure, as long as my lungs don't completely die on me. I'll make them pay next time. As soon as they get better, I'll light a stogie up again. All right, but I'm skipping the stogie, but I'm going to move on to uh, our usual opener here on the show. The greatest TV show theme song of all time 
this week. And of course, this is when I take a look back at the uh, best, what I consider to be the best TV show theme songs ever. Every week, I pick a new one and we talk about it. We talk about the show that it was on and uh, we play it on the show as well. So let's go back uh, this week to the 1980s. People love the 1980s, they love 80s excess. And that's what this show was all about. I'm talking about Miami Vice and the theme song, the Miami Vice theme by the great Jan Hammer, a pioneer of synthesizer electronic music back in the 1980s. theme song, as short as it is, this was the sound of high-energy, pulse-pounding 1980s excess with cops, drug dealer car chases, cocaine all over the place, and the song was composed by some dude from Czechoslovakia who lived in a farmhouse in upstate New York. This song did not come from some guy who was plugged into Miami, who was plugged into the sound in that area. This guy came from Czechoslovakia and lived in a farmhouse in New York. That's where he wrote his music. Jan Hammer, he's a, he's an icon in my mind. The Miami Vice theme is legendary television music. <laughs> So if you've never watched the opening to Miami Vice, you don't even need to watch an episode. Just watch the opening on YouTube, call it up, look at it. It's such a beautiful pairing of music and images, and not beautiful in the way that it's going to like bring a tear to your eye. It's just so perfectly done that it, it kicks so much ass. This song paired with the fast-paced editing of shots skimming along the water in a speedboat. We've got flamingos. We've got women in bikinis, barely their bikinis, too, on network TV. We've got Crockett and Tubbs cruising down the road in a convertible. These guys are police officers, but they look like the biggest badasses in the world. I mean, this is one of the textbook examples of a great TV theme song. Miami Vice theme is an instrumental, but people really dug this song so much that it actually hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart in 1985. Imagine that. An instrumental TV theme song went to number one on the charts in the mid-1980s. I'm not talking about like back in the 50s when instrumental music was still you know a hit thing, was still a mainstream thing. This is the mid-80s. I mean, this is like culture was on the cutting edge, people thought at this point, but a TV theme song still made it at number one on the charts. That's how good this song was. The song won two Grammy Awards. It helped the Miami Vice soundtrack become the biggest selling TV soundtrack ever until it was broken in 2006 by High School Musical. Isn't that sad? I mean, I just I wish we could just go back in time and kind of change that fact and still have the Miami Vice soundtrack with, you know, Glenn Fry and Phil Collins. I wish we could still have that as the number one soundtrack ever, but instead we've got uh, Zac Efron, and that I, I'm tapped on my knowledge of High School Musical. Anyways, this is just a flawless TV theme song, the Miami Vice theme. It, it makes me want to buy a boat right now. Honestly, if the 1980s as we perceive them could be summed up in 60 seconds, I feel like these are those seconds. Miami Vice ran for five seasons and 112 episodes in its time. It was nominated for a ton of Emmys for its first season. No one had ever seen anything like it, but it seems like one of those shows that kind of its first season came out, it blew everyone's minds, and then 
you know, it had its time and it went away pretty quickly. It it flamed out pretty fast, but it left an indelible mark on television production. Um, and its theme song is still one of the all-time greats. And that's our pick for the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. Every time I hear the Miami Vice theme, too, I always think of, uh, and obviously they were trying to rip it off, The Simpsons, the uh, theme song for Eye on Springfield with uh, Kent Brockman. Takes a little bit of ass, too. I mean, especially for a parody. That wasn't even a real TV theme song. That was a show-within-a-show theme song. But that gets the job done. So Jan Hammer and the Miami Vice theme. I love it. And I mentioned Manhunter, the review that I wrote up at OverdueReview.com. Manhunter is very closely tied to Miami Vice. It was kind of why I was thinking about Miami Vice uh, in the last few days. Because Michael Mann, the guy who directed Manhunter, he was the executive producer of Miami Vice. And, you know, really one of the guys that, uh, that, that took it to where it was and... Um, he, he's pretty much the guy you think of when you think of Miami Vice now. You think of Michael Mann, at least I do anyways. And, uh, I mean, Mann's one of the great directors of the 1990s, certainly. He did The Insider. He did uh, he did Heat, which is one of my favorite movies ever. And uh, Collateral with Tom Cruise. Just uh, Michael Mann, very a powerhouse director. And, again, Manhunter, the uh, review of that film that he did, is up right now at OverdueReview.com. If you got some time, you want to do you want to do a little bathroom reading, there you go. That's your reading. Now, before I go any further and I get to my top five movies of 2016, I do have to mention uh, a couple things that really bummed me out here in the last few weeks since we spoke. Uh, Back in episode 29, when I was doing the greatest TV show theme song of all time, I listed the Mary Tyler Moore Show theme as one of the greatest TV show theme songs ever, and I I think it's, it's really one of the best. And it was another instance of a song that became a hit after being a TV theme song. And, of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the passing of the great Mary Tyler Moore and also the passing of John Hurt. We lost both of them within a couple of days of each other uh, since the last time we spoke. And, uh, really, these are two people that I, I just—I don't always do obits. I don't like to do a lot of obits on the show because we do lose a lot of actors, a lot of directors, writers. There's just so many people that have been in entertainment. We lose a lot of them uh, every month. And uh, But these are two that I really enjoyed their work. Over time, Mary Tyler Moore inspired a lot of TV journalists to get into the business, to be honest, because on the show, of course, she played a television reporter in Minnesota, um, you know, a young woman, single woman who uh, moved to a a city in Minnesota and became a, a television reporter and was living out her dream, basically. And a lot of TV journalists watch that show just from what I've heard in the last few days, and they they got inspired to get into the business, not just women, men as well. They thought it's, it looked like a cool business. It looked like a good way to make a living. Uh, but the show wasn't, like, fluffy about being a, a TV reporter. It was funny, of course, but, you know, it didn't make any bones about the fact that no one makes any money. There is sexism in the business, or there was at least back then. Of course, there still is, but there was back then especially. But a lot of people were inspired to get into it because Mary Tyler Moore was so magnetic, so energetic, so uh, just she was so exciting to watch and such a sweet person. Um, and just she was she was ballsy, too. I mean, just what's there not to like? Just name an adjective that's a good adjective and we can find a way to apply it to Mary Tyler Moore. Oprah Winfrey was inspired by the Mary Tyler Moore show to get into being, you know, a television journalist interviewer. That's what she wanted to do that because she saw Mary Tyler Moore doing that. And it inspired her even further in her career. She's uh, gone on the record as saying that. And I also have to say that uh, aside from acting. 
which, you know, more was she won a bunch of Emmys, won a bunch of Golden Globes for TV work on Dick Van Dyke and on Mary Tyler Moore. She was also nominated for an Oscar for her work in uh, Ordinary People. And she really inspired me, though, off screen as a type one diabetic. She inspires me big time in that work because uh, I think I mentioned on the show I'm type one. And it's a small, very small number of people in the world that are type one diabetics. Um, but uh, Mary Tyler Moore was one of them. She got it. She got diagnosed with it when she was doing the Mary Tyler Moore show, and she fought so hard to raise money to find a cure for this shitty disease. And she was actually the international chairman of the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. Uh, the JDRF, she was international chairman. I don't know how long she was international chairman of uh, that for, but it was until her death, and she did so much work. I mean, I'm talking about, like, Presidential Medal of Freedom level work for a charity, uh, and and she's just she's a hero, really, honestly. Um, and especially for that stuff, the acting to me even comes second when it comes to her, but um, she just inspired so many people. Great person, hard to not like Mary Tyler Moore, and we are definitely going to miss her she uh, she left a huge mark on this world um, in a way that a lot of actors, a lot of people in entertainment just wish they could leave the kind of mark that Mary Tyler Moore does and, and, and bring the kind of positive thoughts to people that she brought. Now, John Hurt, on the other hand, I don't know much about John Hurt personally. Personal life, I don't know. He was one of those classic British actors that you don't see a lot of interviews with. It seems like a, you know, a pretty private guy who just he does the work, and then that's it. I don't know, but John Hurt was an actor's actor all the way. He crushed every part that I ever saw him in. I have never seen a film that had John Hurt in it and not thought about him in his performance, not thought about how good he was, and I've never walked away going, nah, eh, he was all right. I mean, he always left a mark on every, he crushed every part. I swear to God, you could give him one line in a 30-second commercial, and the guy would construct some kind of backstory and make this character interesting. That's just what, what John Hurt did. I think he was truly, when you look up acting, that this guy lived it. He lived it and breathed it. He it was never really a lead. You know, not much of a lead. He played the title part in The Elephant Man, but that was not the lead. The Anthony Hopkins role was the lead in that movie, if you've ever seen it. If you've never seen that, you need to watch that film. It's great. Um, but, you know, John Hurt, you couldn't even recognize him in that movie. But he's so good. And I, I, he went through like six hours of makeup every day. The makeup he wore on his face weighed like 100 pounds or something. I mean, it's like a horror story hearing about what he went through in playing that part. Um, but, I mean, this guy was just a powerhouse. He probably made like 10 bucks doing that movie as well. But just just watch him the last year of his life. John Hurt played a part in the movie Jackie that came out last year. Natalie Portman played uh, Jackie Kennedy. And it was a really good film. It was an acting clinic all the way around, especially from Natalie Portman. She was so good in this movie. But John Hurt shows up in two scenes in the movie. He plays a priest. He's not. He doesn't even have a name. He's just priest, I think, in the credits. But he, he made that part such an integral part of the movie and such an interesting part um, that, again, until the last months of his life, this guy was doing great work. So I have utmost respect for John Hurt. My favorite of all of his performances I've ever seen is his portrayal of the weary old British intelligence chief in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. That Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is like one of my top ten movies ever made anyways. And uh, Hurt is, is such – he's so good in it. Just – Again, just a guy who has a lot of power, really, and a brilliant guy, but just has been beat down over the years, and the spy game has taken it out of him, and you can see it uh, just in his face in every scene and hear it in his voice. Mary Tyler Moore was 80 years old. John Hurt was 77 years old. We will greatly miss them. So I just wanted to 
uh, tip my cap to those two uh, great actors and just great personalities before uh, before I move on. All right, now let's get to my top five movies of 2016. I mentioned a few movies uh, just in the last few minutes that I really love from this year, but they didn't all make the cut of the top five. I don't want to take all day with you, so let's go ahead and get to it. And number five might be a surprise to you, but I dearly love this film. It's now on Netflix. It's Disney's The Jungle Book. And this movie came out earlier in the year, and Disney blew my mind with this live-action reboot of The Jungle Book. And you might be like, come on, Jungle Book in your top five movies of the year? I'm not kidding, man, because my expectations for it were so low. And I think that what they did with this film was remarkable. It was so exciting. It was fun to watch. It was like a technical... I mean, I've never seen CGI like this. It blew my mind. The CGI was so good that it changed my mind about, do we ever need to have animals in movies again? I think we can animate every animal ever in movies. Um, and especially with all this dog's purpose stuff going on. I kind of agree with PETA now. Let's animate all of them because I've seen Jungle Book, and the the animals looked incredible. They looked so real. They looked better than real. So in the Jungle Book, we've got Bill Murray, Ben Kingsley, Christopher Walken, Idris Elba, and Scarlett Johansson all in the same cast. I mean, come on. If that cast doesn't make your mouth water, then you don't love acting. The CGI, like I said, some of the best I've ever seen. The, vo- the voice acting as well, flawless in The Jungle Book. And the whole thing was a blast to watch. All of my nitpicks on it were like very small things. And I just came away from this movie. Just I-, I wanted to go on and on. I loved it. I dearly loved it. It showed me that there's hope for Disney remaking its animated classics. They changed my mind on that. Because, you know, the Cinderella remake was fine. It was okay. It didn't blow my mind or anything. The remake of uh, the Maleficent thing that was like the Sleeping Beauty kind of reboot, it was fine. You know, again, not the greatest thing I've ever seen. But now they've got Beauty and the Beast about to come out. And this Jungle Book reboot honestly changed my mind on how good this can be for Disney going back and redoing these films. Because at first I was like the old guy, no, don't touch the classics. And I still stand by that. For the most part, but Jungle Book gave me hope that they can really add some things to these movies and make them worth going back and touching again. Um, and I got to give a special shout out also in the Jungle Book to the young kid Neil Seti, who did some great work in what had to be just such a demanding shoot. And this kid was not an actor; they just they picked him out of like hundreds of kids who were auditioning to be Mowgli, and he's like the only live action person in the entire film, pretty much. So uh, that's my number five movie of 2016: Disney's The Jungle Book. I'm the one who brought him to you, and now I'll return him to where he belongs. I won't let you. He's my cub. We knew this day would come. We are the only family he's ever known. Raksha. It's the only place he'll be safe. It's okay, Ami. It won't go far. I'll come back and visit. Never forget this. You're mine. Mine to me, no matter where you go or what they may call you, you will always be my son. And like I said, The Jungle Book is streaming now on Netflix, and also you can find it on uh, home video, Blu-ray, DVD, whatever. Uh, Not VHS anymore, but you can find it in all those other digital download, however you like to watch them. Check out The Jungle Book. Just a a lot of fun. Cool movie, and I, I felt like it deserved a spot in my top five. All right, let's go to number four now. This movie is still in theaters and is up for some big-time Oscars, Manchester by the Sea. My take on Manchester by the Sea is that this is a somber 
heart-wrenching and really above all a very real feeling movie about what it's like to try to move on after you have a devastating loss. Um, there, there are devastating losses all over this movie. Every character has been touched by something, especially the main characters. The main characters played by Casey Affleck and Lucas Hedges, both nominated for Oscars. Um, they play uncle and nephew um, in this New England town, and both of them have lost people that they depended on in different ways. They've both lost them. Um, people that they love dearly, people that they really depended on. And now they have to come together and help each other through it in like a very blue-collar Boston kind of way. They don't talk much about it. They don't share their feelings so much, but they subtly kind of like nudge each other into the right directions. Um, and, and that's everything about this movie is subtle, and I think that's what – it's kind of hurt Manchester by the Sea uh, when it comes to these awards. It, it's been getting shut out of a lot of the award shows, and that's not nothing about like, well, it's not that good – I think it's just it's almost too subtle. It's it, like nothing about this movie is over the top. No one goes over the top in uh, Manchester by the Sea. And that hurts you a little bit when it comes to award season time because you've got the bright colors of La La Land, people dancing on the highway and shit. You've got fences where, you know, Viola Davis spit is flying out of her mouth as she's yelling these just prophetic, deep, relatable words to Denzel Washington, this awful husband standing right in front of her face. I mean, so it, it, it kind of gets lost in the shuffle. I think. And it's a it's like a big all white cast, which is, you know, a little bit passe at this point, but it's a really g- good film. It's a touching movie. It's funny and uh like I said, it's so subtle. The acting is very subtle in this movie. So if it doesn't win any awards, I hope that doesn't go down as like, well, it was one of those, you know, overblown overrated movies didn't win anything. Who cares? There've been plenty of great movies never won any awards. Happens all the time. Manchester by the Sea might be that one. This year, the acting and the writing in this film are beautiful. It's it's very sad. It's a sad movie, but don't believe any of the reviews that call it depressing. Anyone who calls Manchester by the Sea depressing did not watch the right movie, or they walked out in the middle of it. Because honestly, I laughed a lot in this movie. I thought it was very funny. Um, and you know how it is when bad things are going on. I mean, you've been at a loved one's funeral and have you know heard somebody say something funny, or you've said something funny yourself, and you you get like that that laugh from someone, and it all feels all right. It feels good. It feels you know good to to move on and to you know find the humor in something uh, at such a dark time. And I think that's what the, this movie does so well. It does find a little bit of uh, uh, you know just the lightheartedness that you have to find to get through these dark, dark times. And the characters are all likable in their own ways. And they, again, they all felt very real. This movie is really about taking the hits and continuing to roll along. Um, and that's what I'll take away from Manchester by the Sea. So Manchester by the Sea right now is in theaters if you want to check it out. We're not going to be here that much longer. I'm not moving to Boston, Uncle Lee. No, I don't want to talk about that You right said now. he left you money so you could move. Yeah, that doesn't mean... Anyway, what's in Boston? You're a janitor. So what? You could do that anywhere. There's plenty of toilets and clogged up drains all over town. I don't want to. All talk my about friends it. are here. I'm on the hockey team. I'm on the basketball team. I got to maintain our boat now. I work on George's boat two days a week. I got two girlfriends, and I'm in a band. You're a janitor and Quincy. What the hell do you care where you live? All right, number three, also in theaters right now, Fences, directed by Denzel Washington and starring. The man himself. Now, on the other hand, as I said, Manchester by the Sea is about taking the punches and rolling along. Fences is all about a character who has taken all these lumps through the years, but has never learned to let go of a single one of them. He carries his past injustices like badges of honor. 
amounting in, honestly, the biggest chip that I've ever seen on anyone's shoulder. That's the main character of Fences, Troy Maxson, played by Denzel Washington. Washington, like I said, directed and stars in this one. It's based on a play by August Wilson that feels very much like it was based on a play. I mean, it really, they didn't do a whole lot to like turn this into a movie. Um, but that, to me, is not a knock. I love films based on plays that keep it you know, straight like that. I, last year, I praised Steve Jobs. I had it in my top five from Aaron Sorkin. And it wasn't based on a play, but I felt like it should be turned into a play. And Sorkin, you know, has history as a playwright. So I think it could easily be turned into a play. This one went the opposite route. And I just, I appreciate that. I like the stagey kind of acting. And I like the simple, like, one set where everyone's just kind of moving in and out. Characters take their cues, exit stage left, and then they come back and they're carrying on a conversation the whole time. Really, there's just one set piece in the whole movie. It's this big house in Pittsburgh in the 1950s where this um, African-American family lives and uh, and Troy Maxson never lets the family forget that they are black and never lets them forget um, what all the people, all the white people that he's ever met that have ever looked down on him. He's never forgotten a single one of those lessons, and he doesn't want his family to forget that, even though they're trying to move on. They're trying to move on in a more progressive world. He wants to hang on to the past. The family is made up of Denzel's character, his stoic wife, played by Viola Davis, who is really the heart and soul of this entire movie, and the two sons from different marriages that he has that live under this one roof. Fences is not so much about racism. Okay, it's not. This is not like the race movie of the year. It's really about feeling trapped and about trapping yourself. Thus, the title "Fences." Fences keeping people in. Fences keeping people out. The entire cast is black, and the performances are all fantastic. Honestly, I was sitting in the theater. This massive screen. I'm sitting a few rows away from this massive screen with Denzel and Viola Davis and their big heads up on the screen, and I was shaking as I watched scenes of this movie. This is like a guttural. Film. You will react. You will get a feeling in your stomach as you watch this. It's overacted at times, but I would not have had it any other way. I wouldn't want this movie to be subtle. I think it should hit you over the head with a sledgehammer, and that's what it does. I think it's the best work, honestly, of Denzel's entire career, and it's a great career. I think this is the bet. This is the high water mark for me of Denzel's entire career. Anybody who's ever felt trapped by a job, trapped by your family, trapped by your hometown. You need to see Fences. You will get the same feeling in your stomach that I got when you watch this. Um, and, and you just you want to get into Troy's head and just tell him, man, just let it go. Just enjoy these people that are around you. And, uh, and, and let the, just see how great they are. They've turned out fine. And some of that's a testament to you, but you've you got to let it go, man. you gotta forgive some, You got to forgive sometimes. You can't hold on to all that. So number three movie of 2016, Fences, which right now is in theaters. Why don't you go ahead and let the boy play football, Troy? He just want to be like you with the sports. I don't want him to be like me. I want him to get as far away from my life as he possibly can get. You're the only decent thing ever happened to me, Rose. I wish him that. But I don't wish him nothing else for my life. Decided 17 years ago that boy wasn't going to get involved in those sports. Not after what they did to me in the sports. Why don't you just admit you were too old for the major leagues for once? Why don't you just admit that? Come telling me I was too old. I just wasn't the right color. Hell, I'm 53 years old. Can do better than Selkirk's 269 right now. How were you going to play ball when you were over 40? Sometimes I can't get no sense out of you. I got good sense, woman. I got sense enough not to let that boy get hurt playing those sports. Your mother and the boy too much worrying about whether people like him or not. Everything that boy do, he do for you. He wants you to say, good job, son. That's all. I ain't got time for that, Rose. 
He's alive. He's healthy. He's got to make his own way. I made mine. Ain't nobody gonna hold his hand when he get out there in the world. Times have changed, Troy. People change. The world changing, and you can't even see it. My second favorite movie of 2016. It's right now on home video. You can rent it uh, or buy it wherever you'd like to. It's Hell or High Water. It came out early on in the year, and I didn't forget about it for a second. I raved about it when it first came out on an episode of this show, and I'm still raving about it now. This is a good old-fashioned cops and robbers in the modern Wild West kind of film. If you liked No Country for Old Men, which of course was a Best Picture winner uh, back in its day from the Coen brothers, If you like No Country for Old Men, I think you'll love Hell or High Water. I thought it was even better than No Country for Old Men, to be honest with you. And there are a lot of shades of that in this movie, but I like this one just a little bit better as a complete picture. Jeff Bridges plays this nearly retired, slightly racist old Texas Ranger who's trying to track down two brothers that are robbing banks all across Texas. That's the story of the movie. And it turns out that they're robbing the banks for a very good reason when you finally figure out the mystery as to why they're doing all this. Chris Pine and Ben Foster are the brothers, and they are wonderful together. Totally bought them as brothers in this. Um, And, you know, I wanted to ride around with them, to be honest with you. I'm glad I got the chance to with the camera in the back seat. This movie has tons of energy, and it just has this attitude that's all its own. It's this Texas attitude all over the picture. Ben Foster, honestly, probably should have been nominated for an Oscar. Instead, they ended up giving a, no- a nomination, another one, to Jeff Bridges. And I believe me, I love Jeff Bridges. But show a little imagination sometimes. You know, Academy. It's like Bridges has been nominated for how many Oscars? The guy's won. You know, he won for Crazy Heart. He's been honored all throughout his career. Ben Foster, though, is a guy that's, you know, still coming up and, and making his name. And he's been doing good work for years, but he did a great performance in this movie. He's just magnetic. And it's like, throw the guy a bone, man. Give him some love. But instead, they're going to keep nominating the same actors over and over and over again, basically. Um, but like I said, it's it's just a good movie all around. Great cast. Hell or High Water has my favorite soundtrack also of 2016. Which It's just loaded from start to finish with this Texas country music, outlaw country music. Um, and it's it's really, a, um, a, like I said, a movie that's just got, got like a swagger of its own that really feels like it came from, from the dust of Texas. This is a crime flick that blends well with today's financial climate also. So it's a little bit timely. But it's not really about that, man. This is a, It's just a good old-fashioned, like I said, cops chasing robbers, tracking them down. What's the mystery? Why are they doing this? Um, and a story about brotherly love, family love. Um, and it's got its shocking moments as well. So I really recommend Hell or High Water uh, to you. Definitely check that one out. It's uh, my number two movie of 2016, and it's right now on home video. Do they have video? Same deal all the way around. Doesn't Walmart sell all sorts of electronic equipment? My word, get your hands off that. Oh, these boys, they aren't done yet, I'll tell you that. How come? Oh, well, they're patient. They're just sticking to the drawers, not taking the hundreds. That's the bank's money. We can trace that. They're, they're trying to raise a certain amount, that's my guess. It's going to take a few banks to get there. All right, and rounding it out, my number one, with a bullet, favorite movie of 2016. Still in theaters now, it's Moonlight. Hands down, to me, the best movie of 2016 was Moonlight. It was also the most relatable movie of the year, because if you've ever grown up and felt less than or felt confused about your own identity, then you can relate to the main character of this movie, Chiron. And who hasn't ever felt less than? Who hasn't felt confused about their identity, especially when they were growing up? I mean, hell now. But especially when they were growing up, 
what Moonlight does is it's a coming-of-age movie. It follows Chiron in three stages of his life. It follows him in his boyhood, his teens, and adulthood. Obviously, these are formative years that we're, we're checking out in this film. We see him on, really, it's like three different days. It's not, it's not technically three days, but it's like basically in each period, we only see him like on one day. And we see the moments that would define who he was on those days and the transformative effects that they have on his life. It's a really, it's a cool way to tell a story. Moonlight made me cry. And it also made me smile when I was sitting in theaters. I'm following along with these defining moments of this person's life who it really, I mean, he turns out to be a beautiful person. You might not agree with all his choices, but I mean, he's a, he is a beautiful person. It's a great character. It's a character that I hope goes down in the canon as one of the great characters in movies. We feel so close to Chiron by the end of this film also. We cringe with anticipation as he moves in for this uncertain kiss. We almost jump out of our chairs when he gets revenge on this asshole character in the film. We cry when he reconnects with an old friend in the movie. The acting from top to bottom in Moonlight was a clinic, and it comes from mostly unknown performers, which is why I thought this film was so impressive. Aside from Mahershala Ali... Um, who is going to, th- I think he's nominated for an Oscar for his role. He won a SAG last night uh, for his lead role in, or it's a supporting role, I guess, in Moonlight. Um, he's so good in this film, and you remember him from House of Cards, and um, you might have saw him in Hidden Figures also this year. He's he's kind of breaking out finally as a, a really, really strong actor, somebody that we're going to know. Um, but he's very good in Moonlight as this father figure character for Chiron. Um, as he's growing up in the in the first section of the film, uh, no movie to me was as powerful or as necessary in 2016 as Moonlight. It's not a political film, even though it is about a character who is gay and who is learning to accept that. It's not a shocking film. It's not a violent film, for the most part. It's just a beautiful story about life and about identity. And I honestly, I wanted Moonlight to go on for two more hours. And I wanted to see 30 more years of Chiron's life. Uh, but it was just a fantastic movie. It floored me. So that would be my number one pick in 2016. Moonlight, my favorite movie of the year. Check it out now in theaters. This one time, I'll run by this old, this old lady. I was running, hollering, cutting a food, boy. This old lady, she stopped me. She said... Running around, catching a boy that light. In moonlight, black boys look blue. You blue. That's why I gonna call you. Blue. Say your name, Blue. some point you gotta decide for yourself who you gonna be. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. So once again, real quick, recapping my top five movies of 2016. Number five, The Jungle Book. Number four, Manchester by the Sea. Number three, Fences. Number two, Hell or High Water. And number one, Moonlight. Check those out and I'll be rooting for them at the Oscars. Alright, let's toss it over to Andy Sedlak, see what he's got going on. Take it away, my friend. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You know, last week, Janis Joplin would have turned 74. Yeah. Born January 19th, 1943, the consummate outcast, the consummate social deviant. When she was in college, a frat voted her the ugliest man on campus. That's true. Then she turned uh, she turned into something else, didn't she? She did so much by the time she died at age 27. What could she have done before reaching the age of 74? Janice in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. It's fascinating to think about the phases, the evolution of her career that uh, was a career we never got. She died, uh, let's see, going back through it here. She died in late 1970. Such a a small sampling size that we have to revisit, really, by comparison to uh, some of the other artists that are out there. The reason I bring it up is because we've we've gosh it seems we've like we've talked so much about artists who have passed away recently David Bowie, George Michael, so on. And although the morning is appropriate, maybe it's time that we now be grateful. Grateful that we had them for as long as we did. Again, consider that we only had Janis Joplin for 27 years. Anyway, my name's Andy Sedlak, broadcasting, let's see, from uh, <laughs> from my basement in uh, Dayton, Ohio. I don't know if you can hear the music in the background. Got them vinyl records playing, baby. That's what's hip. Got them vinyl records playing. John Lennon's Mind Games, that album. So you may hear it occasionally. Can't quite make it out. It is Mind Games. You may or may not have heard. Donald Trump... Uh, Let's see, recently took the took the oath of office, made him the 45th president of the United States of America. If you're a regular listener to the show, you know where uh, Clint and I stand. Oh! It's really not that hard to figure out. So before I move on, I, w- I want to play something for you. This is um, <clears throat> This is from Madonna in an interview the day before Trump's inauguration. 
Here we go. I think also we need to um, not, as you say, you know, don't get so consumed with what you're fighting against, but think about what you're fighting for. That's a really important message to put out there. And, you know, it's really easy for us to fall into the trap of um, hating on Donald Trump and, you know, being, you know, caught in the web of despair. Um, but I, th I think we need to just figure out, we need to um, figure out what we're going to do that's going to make it work, you know, that's going to that's going to help us rise up like phoenixes from the ashes. We're going to have to do that. This is, this is the time. This is the moment. He's actually, you have to look at it in a, in a, I know this sounds really perverse, but he's actually doing us a great service. Yes. I see okay? that too. Because we're, 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 we've gone as low as we can go. We can only go up from here. Yeah, hopefully. So what are we going to do to go up? Also want to note, that 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 came before her remarks at the uh, the women's march, but uh, but there you go, Madonna, ladies and gentlemen. With that, let's talk about another diva, John Mayer. I'm actually a fan of John Mayer's. Uh, here's why. Musicianship and his writing. The guy has written some awe-inspiring songs. Gravity is working against me. And it's that element of his game that he's focusing on now, his songwriting. He's got a new album that's uh, being released sort of... Uh, in spurts and fits and parts, the album will basically be made up of a, a series of EPs released on a monthly basis altogether. It's called The Search for Everything. The premise being that he's able to hop around, do a little of this, do a little of that, and it'll all add up to like one collective experience. The first single was released. He's uh, clearly trying to get radio attention with that song. If you like Room for Squares, if you liked heavier things, if you liked Your Body is a Wonderland, you're going to like this. It's called Love on the Weekend. Love on the Weekend, Love on the Weekend. I'm coming up and I'm loving every minute of it. Three other songs... Uh, Make up for uh, what he's referring to as the first wave. The first wave of this album. There's Moving On and Getting Over, which is like a light uh, R&B thing. Then there's a song called Changing, which is sort of a, a John Prine sort of country thing. And finally, the uh, the last song that was released in this first wave is called You're Gonna Live Forever in Me. And that's a piano ballad. Altogether, 
kind of cuddly, kind of beebery. Let me back up. Now, Justin Bieber could never dream of writing songs like uh, like John Mayer, but they do share something in common with that that kind of like the light acoustic troubled romantic guy thing. There is a similar identity that's being staked out in the music. Now, one is at a higher uh, 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 intellectual level, level, philosophical level, but it's similar territory. And I'm interested to know just how far and how varied John Mayer will eventually get because when he gets in the studio, he tends to resort to the same tried and true methods. Here's what he said recently, and I'm quoting. I wasn't interested in doing anything I've done before, and I wanted to stoke the fire of abstraction and just start punching hard. That being his philosophy behind the making of this new record. But here's the thing with that. He has a vibe on his studio albums. He's chill. He's pragmatic. He's deliberate live. He's not. In interviews, he's not. When posting on social media, he's not. But in the studio, he is. Even on his more adventurous albums, adventurous for him, like Continuum, he still operates within the realm that we all know. Yes, there has been growth, and yes, he's evolved as an artist. Of course he has. But it's discreet. You can't point to one album where he took a giant leap. He'll tread into country and blues, but it's his version of country or blues, which isn't too much different than his version of pop or a singer-songwriter record. Next month, when he releases four more songs, will he go for it? Can he go for it is he capable again he sure does on stage he's he's interesting he's uh, improvising he's changing things on the fly and he's he's fully committing fully committing to rock and to blues but he doesn't fully commit to that to those things on his records he's hushed and dare i say a little Biebery. I do like John Mayer. Love that Continuum record. I think he's interesting, but the problem with Mayer is that his studio records uh, probably aren't as interesting as he is as a person. I wish they were. I'll be listening in the coming months. Does he go for it? Can he go for it? The first wave, as I mentioned of this new record called The Search for Everything is out now. If you have listened, let me know what you think. Email me at sedlakjournal at gmail.com. S-E-D-L-A-K, the word journal, all squished together at gmail.com. You know, he supposedly spent hundreds of hours working on this album. Can you dedicate hundreds of hours To come out with the same vibe? I guess we'll find out. 
Did you know that the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band started out as a concept record about growing up in Liverpool? That is true. It did. But the Beatles ditched the concept because they wanted to do something that, that felt a little more grown up. The reason I bring it up is because the last track on the album, A Day in the Life, was recorded, uh, is now 50 years old. It was recorded, uh, let's see, about a, a week and a half ago, 50 years ago. And you can still hear some of the influence uh, of that record that was originally intended. You know, waking up, being late for the bus. title of the song was In the Life Of. It's one of my favorites. It's one of everybody's favorites. And then a few years later, it was Splitsville for the Beatles. I've been listening to some of uh, uh, Paul McCartney's solo stuff recently. Obviously, I, I told you I got uh, John Lennon's solo record uh, playing right now. But when it comes to McCartney, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm, I'm, you know, sometimes maybe a little more often than than I would like. I'm, I'm underwhelmed. And if it wasn't Paul McCartney, I'd be tempted to say that this artist was overrated. <laughs> no, no, hear me out. It's a hard career to look at objectively. Truth is. As a solo artist, McCartney's career got off to a rocky start because after the Beatles split, Lennon came out with Plastic Ono, Harrison came out with All Things Must Pass, and McCartney, he came out with uh, with uh, McCartney, released in 1970. It had this on it. Baby, I'm amazed the way you love me all the time. Maybe I'm afraid of the way I love you. And then a lot of filler. I mean... A, a lot of filler. Too whimsical. Maybe that's it. A lot of his solo career is, is just too whimsical for me. I mean, there are songs that are fun. The Work With Wings, Jet, that's fun. Band on the Run, kind of fun, harmless. His later stuff is good. He's got a record called uh, Chaos and Creation in the Backyard. Love a song on that record called uh, Riding to Vanity Fair. And uh, and I like this from uh, a solo record called McCartney Two. Love it. Great song. Love that song. And the, and the album itself is enjoyable. Um, but a lot of this stuff, too whimsical. Barely even rock. It's soft rock. It's pop. It's Gershwin meets Barney. What about this? This was released after 9-11. You remember this? This is my right. A right given by God. Deliver. To live in freedom 
at the same time, I did like this song. Love that song, actually. So maybe I'm wishy-washy, but I still say that too much of the guy's career is is was was and is whimsical. Love Paul. I love Paul. You love Paul. We all love Paul. But I challenge you to look at his career objectively. Where do you stand? Shoot me an email. Also, want to mention uh, real quick that Chuck Berry has plans to put out a new album this year. He's uh, 90 years old. These will be original songs. His first album since 1979. And I reviewed that album for OverdueReview.com. Just go to the website and search for Chuck Berry to read that review. The album is called Rocket. It's got a picture of a spaceship on the front. It's obviously a play on words. And with that, let's get to it. Here are five songs to add to our ever-evolving Stream Police playlist. The uh, complete playlist is available on Spotify, and these tunes will soon be added to it. First, it is The Thing That Should Not Be. This is by Metallica. Hold up by Beyonce. Hold up, they don't love you like I love you. Slow down, they don't love you like I love you. Back up, they don't love you like I love you. Step down, they don't love you like I love you. Can't you see there's no other man above you? What a wicked way to treat the girl that loves you. Hold up, they don't love you like I love you. Hold down, they don't love you like I love you. I'm going to give you uh, Wish I Could Fly Like Superman. This is by The Kinks. Woke up this morning, started to sneeze. Had a cigarette and a cup of tea. I looked in the mirror, what did I see? A nine stone weakling with nobody knees. I did my knees and press ups, touch my toes. Had another sneeze and I blew my nose. Here's another one uh, from Beyonce. from Lemonade, which I've been listening to lately, called Daddy Lessons. And from Supertramp, 
It's bloody well right. Right, right, you're bloody well right. You got a bloody right to say. Right, you're bloody well right. You know you got a right to say. That's it. Toss it back to Clint. Thanks, guys. Hey, thank you very much, Andy. Appreciate that, as always. And uh, Beyonce and Metallica together at last on the Stream Police podcast. Man, I'm telling you, my throat is killing me. I went a little bit long in that first segment. So I'm going to keep it uh, pretty short, I I think. I'm going to try to. I never can. I'm just not capable of being short-winded. Never have been. Probably never will be at this point. Uh, but anyways, I'm Clint Davis, Movies and TV Editor at OverdueReview.com. Thanks for tuning in. Let's go ahead and uh, get into some television here. I did watch a couple of uh, seasons of – a couple of new seasons of shows that are streaming now uh, since the last time we spoke that I wanted to toss out to you real quick. Um, first off, on HBO Now, I caught the first season of Insecure, which just wrapped um, a couple months ago, and it was an eight-episode first season. If you've never seen Insecure, it's a half-hour comedy show. Um, it stars Issa Rae, who is—I was not really—I was not uh, familiar with Issa Rae at all. She— I guess did a web ser- video series called Awkward Black Girl uh, that she wrote and starred in, and I wasn't familiar with it at all. Don't I'm still not. I never watched Awkward Black Girl. I don't know, but Insecure is really about this awkward black girl. She's not that awkward, honestly. I think that's. I think it's kind of a. Uh, I think it'd be a misnomer to call Issa awkward. She's pretty confident sometimes, but she is insecure as well, like the rest of us. And um, this is just kind of a a good little character study about a few different characters, um, all of whom happen to be black, um, as we follow them just uh, in their lives in Los Angeles. And it's a good comedy. It's really, it's funny. Like, I laughed a lot when I was watching this show. show was created by Issa Rae along with Larry Wilmore, who you'll remember as the uh, host of the nightly show on Comedy Central until it got canceled. He's, I think he did he co-create Blackish or uh, executive produce it or something. Anyways, Wilmore's been having a lot of luck with shows that he's not actually in um, over the years. And, and Insecure, I would call another uh, another good one. And this show was picked up for a second season. Uh, by HBO, so we'll be looking for that in 2017. Uh, but yeah, like I said, it's only eight episodes, a half hour each episode, and um, it, it follows these this young woman named Issa D and her boyfriend. She's been dating this guy for a long time. It's a guy named Lawrence, and um, they you get the sense that you know they've kind of been not really at their best. Lately, I mean, Lawrence has kind of been out of work. He was trying to pursue his dream, developing an app, and you know, nothing has really happened with that. So he's just kind of sitting around collecting dust. But you know, he's a nice guy, good guy. Uh, they've known each other, been together for a while. They're comfortable. It's a comfortable thing, and you get the sense that that's really why they're together. They're both comfortable together, so why not stay together? And the whole season. Issa kind of goes back and forth on, well, do I want something else? Do I want this other, you know, this old ex of mine? Or should I stick, you know, should I stick with Lawrence? I don't know. 
And then it also follows uh, Issa's best friend Molly, who's played by Yvonne Orji. And uh, I had never seen this woman, but she does a she does a really nice job. She's a gorgeous woman, um, and uh, she plays this successful attorney who uh, is you know Issa's best friend. They go back a, a long ways together, and she's insecure in her own way, even though she really doesn't have any reasons to be reason to be. She's sexy. She's got a really nice apartment in Los Angeles. She works at a, a firm. She's worked her way up from. You know, uh, a lowly like legal assistant working there, and uh, you know, here she is. But she can't really keep a guy. Doesn't really seem to want to keep a guy. She seems to keep sabotaging herself. And this movie is really all about relationships. It's about kind of growing up in your twenties. It's like a coming of age in your late twenties uh, movie. It's like the quarter life crisis uh, show is what I would call this. So, um, I, and I really enjoyed it again. I thought insecure was very funny. It was a good eight episodes. I'm sad. It was only, it was one of those that I wanted to be more episodes. I wanted to see a little bit more of it. Um, it's a very, uh, adult show and the way it handles kind of emotions and, you know, the things that we think about, it's just realistic and, and well done. I think it's a it was a strong addition for HBO and something that they needed. You know, they the show Girls has taken a lot of heat over the years for being like the whitest show ever and being set in the most diverse city in the world, but like really only having white girls, white girl problems is what they always make fun of with that. So HBO needed a show that was, you know, written, created by someone who's not white, starring all characters who are not white. Um, and, you know, again, set in a big city, relatable uh, topics, doesn't matter what the color of uh, the people are. We've all been in these situations, and uh, we might have just used different language to describe things, but uh, we all know exactly how they feel. And, again, it's a, it's a funny it's a funny show. They have this cool thing they do where Issa, like, when she feels... When she feels insecure or when she feels really confident, it's like only those two situations. She goes into the bathroom, looks in the mirror. We watch her in the mirror, and she like writes these raps to herself, and she spits them in the mirror as she's you know just looking at herself. And they're really funny. They're good. They're good raps, and um, it's just kind of like a cool thing that the character does, and it's it's fun. Anytime we see her in the bathroom staring in the mirror, we know it's going to be a good scene. So insecure right now, season one, all eight episodes are available for you on HBO now. Okay, how many times? Did he like it? Okay, did he come? Did they both come? Kelly, that's enough. So we're all thinking it? Sweetie, you can't keep dating him. He's gay. Because that totally makes him gay, right? Bitch, sophomore year, you hooked up with that chick who looked like Lisa Turk. Okay, who did it? It's different for women. Okay, wait, wait, wait. You're telling me that once a dude touches a dick, he's gay? Yes. yes. So it's like straight, 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 lead bag. Yes. It's a double standard, but oh well, that's how it is. Okay, bitch, so she's supposed to stop seeing Jared just because he doesn't subscribe to the heteronormative rejection of sexual fluidity? Okay, like, in women's studies class. And this bitch talk, like she doing the spoken word and flawless. I love it. <laughs> I'm just saying, why can't black men explore their sexuality without being labeled gay or bi or whatever? Because I want my man to be a man. That's homophobic as fuck, okay? And if Jared were white, you would chalk that shit up to the gay. Preach! Why do black men have to fit in a box and be super masculine all the time? Be damn. Can a nigga get his dick sucked? Also, can we bring these drinks inside? No, wait, 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 hold on. Are you telling me that if you found out Lawrence got his dick sucked by some dude way back when, you would still be talking all this fluidity shit? Okay, well, Lawrence likes to cook, you know, and he is very particular about his laundry. So, you know, besides having sex with men, he's kind of the gayest. You're so stupid. <laughs> Funny show. She's got jokes, man. She's good. I like Issa Rae. Didn't didn't really know her. I was w- before I watched that show. I'm like a show based on a, a YouTube series. This sounds like the worst shit ever. And I went into it with that attitude once again. But 
I loved it. I thought it was really funny, and uh, I zoomed through it, just tore through it in like two days, and uh, and and really liked it. And I just wanted it to keep going and going. So, looking forward to seeing some more seasons of Insecure. And real quickly, let me just mention. Um, Transparent came back for its third season on Amazon Prime a while ago, but I didn't get around to watching it till just the last month. I've talked before on the show about Transparent. If you want to hear my complete thoughts on that show, go back to the episode when I uh, discussed Transparent. I can't remember off the top of my head which episode it was, but you'll see it there right in the title of the show if you're looking on iTunes. Uh, season 3 is now on Amazon Prime Video, and uh, Season 3 is just as strong as the other two. This show continues to really be one of my favorite shows on television. There's nothing like Transparent. That's why I like this show so much. There is nothing like it. No other show has this show's voice. It's interesting. It Every episode looks like an indie film. If you like indie movies, Transparent totally is in that mold. The music, the look of the show, um, the acting is so strong. The characters are all unlikable, but at the same time, uh, we feel like we really know them, understand why they're unlikable, and we like them. I mean, it's it's crazy. It's like this is really a group. It's like Seinfeld. It's a group of people that are really on paper just not likable at all. And the first time you meet them, you're like, God, these people are assholes. So, again, I've said before, if you watch Transparent for the first time and you're like in the first couple episodes and you're going, God, I hate all these people and I don't want to watch this show, stick with it because we all felt that way when we first watched Transparent. Um, but you just feel so close to them. It. It's such an honest Show for as dishonest as all the characters are, this show is so honest. Um, and the uh, I want to point out two actors, two female actors in Transparent in the third season, who really to me came alive um, and deserve to be, uh, you know, recognized for their work in the third season of this show. Judith Light, first off, Judith Light plays the mother, the matriarch of the the Pfefferman family, the main family in Transparent. And I I said when I first reviewed this show that I didn't think she was that good in it. She's like a Broadway legend. And I just thought she was so over the top. This show's really a lot about Jewish culture. It, it dives deep into like Jewish culture and the identities of modern Jews and how they connect with that, you know, very old faith. And do they want to connect with it? Do they want anything to do with it? Do they just get into it out of guilt? Or, you know, what do they get out of being Jews today? What's the, you know, what's there? What What can it still teach you? So, it's a show that really gets into Jewish culture, and I said that Judith Light, to me, was just too over-the-top, like, stereotypically Jewish, like the most stereotypical Jewish mother with the whiny voice and the doting and everything else in the first season. And to me, it felt like a, a, a caricature, not a real person. Third season of Transparent, Judith Light's character finally comes around as being a character that I thought felt real, felt 3D, I understood her, I felt for her, I weeped for her in a couple of scenes, and I cheered for her when she uh, when she finally got some balls and uh, and struck out on her own. So uh, Judith Light deserves a lot of credit for me for the third season of Transparent. I thought she was fan- she was just magnetic in this third season. And also Catherine Hahn, which you probably you might know Catherine Hahn from Bad Moms. She was in uh, a few episodes of Parks and Rec. She was very good in Parks and Rec. That was the first time I ever saw her. I'm like, man, who is this woman? And she's so good at everything. She's been in every season of Transparent. She plays a rabbi um, that Josh dates, and she becomes like a good family friend of the Pfeffermans. Uh, her work in season three to me was Emmy worthy, like best. I, I'm I'm not sure if she would be a supporting actor or she would be a guest actor. I think she'd probably be a supporting actor. She deserves it though. She really owned her character in the entire season. She showed such a breadth of emotions 
Um, and again, she got some balls. Both of these characters got balls in the season. I mean, they really did. They became uh, just they had a lot of weight in this season. They threw that weight around. They tested um, they tested the people around them. And I, I just thought it was interesting television and it was fun to watch. So transparent again, third season on Amazon Prime Video. If you want to see some great performances, if you want to meet a really um, interesting television family and see a show that is just high-level writing and acting every week. I mean, I'm telling you, Transparent is a very good show, and it is not overrated. It seems like it would be because it won you know, the Golden Globes and it's won Emmys and everything else, but not overrated. It lives up to the hype, and it's just a really good show. Transparent, third season, all three seasons right now are on Amazon Prime Video, 10 episodes a season. Give it a watch. I just saw God. Okay. What what do you say? <laughs> uh, that she's a woman. Uh-huh. And she's black. Uh-huh. And she looked just like you and told me everything is what it's supposed to be. And that it's going to be okay. We're going to be... We're going to be okay. I can tell you're still not close. All right, now to wrap up, I wanted to mention some streaming movies that you may not have seen. I usually only do Netflix and Amazon, but I also want to throw one at you on HBO Now uh, right now. HBO Now has a documentary they just released called Beware the Slender Man, and this is a true crime doc. We all love true crime documentaries. Um, they're, they're big business now, and HBO's been doing them for about longer than anybody, so they are not new to this party. They, they kind of invented the wheel when it came to true crime documentaries. Uh, but they did a movie uh, about the uh, attempted murder case of a 12-year-old girl in Wisconsin. It just happened like two years ago. Her two best friends dragged her out into the woods, basically, and stabbed her, stabbed the shit out of her. Like 20 times they stabbed her, and this girl survived. And the girls, when they were asked why did they do it, these 12-year-old girls were conv- were uh, charged with attempted murder. They said that it was because the Slender Man they were trying to prove themselves to the Slender Man. And if you don't know what the Slender Man is, it's some – you remember the Hatchet Man? We used to, When I was a kid, we had the Hatchet Man. It was a character that somebody made up, and kids would tell the stories, and the stories changed based on where you were at. But we always talked about the Hatchet Man. He was scary. There was like Bloody Mary also was a similar kind of thing. Slender Man is like today's kids. It's their Hatchet Man. They're Bloody Mary. Uh, so they tell stories at parties and they get the shit scared out of them and they read scary stories and look at doctored photos on the internet trying to make this guy look real. So HBO did this look into the Slender Man character. Um, it's got all these interviews with the families, uh, the parents of the girls who who carried out this horrible crime. Um, and it's an interesting look at parenting today. It's I think it's a I think it is required viewing, should be required viewing for parents today, honestly. If you've got kids who are like, you know, gonna be who are not yet past the age of like 12, 13, you probably need to watch this movie because it'll just, it will probably make you want to take their technology away right away, or at least just be honest with them and tell them, make sure they know what's real and what's not real. Uh, because these girls really got fooled into thinking something was real, and it's because they have big imaginations. So, and they took it, took it as far as you could, and they almost killed their friend and uh, got themselves put in prison. So, uh, that movie is again, Beware the Slender Man. And it's uh, it was an awakening kind of thing. It's not the best documentary I've ever seen, but it was good. Well worth two hours. So it's right now on HBO now, and it is an HBO original. A movie on Netflix that you may not have seen, St. Vincent. This one came out a couple of years ago starring Bill Murray in the, in the uh, um, role of Vincent, who 
reluctantly becomes Saint Vincent uh, because of uh, his. He's like this drunk, worn out, broken down Vietnam veteran who uh, just kind of hates everybody. Um, and we we get into his life and realize kind of why this is that he does hate everybody, why he does hate everything. Um, and he he reluctantly becomes a babysitter, like a nanny. For this kid who lives next door, his mom is played by Melissa McCarthy, and uh, she works a job. She's a single mom, and the kid is so good. I just saw the kid in the movie Midnight Special by Jeff Nichols, which I love that film as well. It's also on HBO, HBO Now. This kid was so good, I apologize. I can't remember his name right off the top of my head, but it's a good little movie. And St. Vincent, Bill Murray was nominated for an Oscar last year and uh, did not win it, but he's very good in this movie, and it's uh, going to go down as one of Bill Murray's signature roles, I think, hear about St. Vincent as really one of those great performances of his career. So that right now is on Netflix, again, starring Bill Murray. And on Amazon Prime, if you haven't seen it, check out Mr. Holmes, which uh, stars Ian McKellen as Sherlock Holmes. I reviewed the film at length in a previous episode of the show when I first saw it, and I really liked it. I, I said that it's my favorite performance anyone's ever given as Sherlock Holmes, including Benedict Cumberbatch. This is Ian McKellen. This is like an old Sherlock. Sherlock Holmes has been retired for years. Um, John Watson is dead. Uh, he's been dead for a while, and Holmes just doesn't want to do this shit anymore. He doesn't want to crack cases anymore. He's lost the taste for it. But, of course, he comes out of retirement for one more case, and it's a, it's a good one. So Mr. Holmes, again, right now is on Amazon, uh, and I definitely urge you to go check those out. All right, that's going to do it for another edition of the Stream Police. I'm going to take some hauls. I'm going to spray my throat, and I'm going to get the hell out of this closet. Uh, thanks again to Andy Sedlak, our music editor. I'm Clint Davis, movies and television editor at OverdueReview.com. We'll talk to you guys next month. Uh, until then, stream on, my friend. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.